Welcome to Out of Zion with Susan Michael, an exploration of the Bible and the land of Israel. From ancient biblical sites to the story behind the stories, join Susan on a journey through the most exciting book on the planet. Hit the subscribe button for future episodes, which will deepen your faith and bring the Bible to life. And now, here's our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there, welcome. This is the 3D Bible, part five on the land of the Bible. So for those of you who have joined me today, first of all, I want to congratulate you because we have done the heavy lifting in parts one through four. And I know that for some of you, I may have lost you. Others of you, you may have been bored. But um, we had to lay that firm foundation for understanding our Bible. So congratulations from here. Um, it's a little bit easier. You know, I just want to review what we've learned so far. We've learned uh, how that the Bible is so alive and powerful and uh, why it's so important that we learn how to read it and to study it and spend time in it. And learning the story of the Bible is absolutely essential to that. And I know that last week, uh, the talk about the Old Testament, um, for some of you, it's not an issue. For others of you, uh, it was very important to lay the foundation of how we should approach the Old Testament. And so where do we go from here? Well, today we're going to talk about the land of the Bible. Next time we'll talk about the people of the, God, of the Bible and then the God of the Bible and wrap it up with how this all relates to you. Now, on the land of the Bible, we're going to talk about the land of Canaan. Where is it? Uh, why did God choose it? How did God use it? And what is the land um, a type or a shadow of for us as Christians? And how do we, uh, what can we learn from the land? Um, so let me just back up. You know, we talked previously about God's plan to redeem the world, that that's the story that's driving the Bible. And central to that plan, of course, is the Jewish people. And central to God's covenant with the Jewish people was this piece of land. Now, why did they need land? Why was it a part of God's covenant with Abraham? Well, people need a land if they're going to become a nation. Can you imagine if one of Abraham's children had ended up out in, uh, let's say, Asia, and another one ended up in Europe, and another one down in Arabia? They would have never formed any kind of peoplehood or nationhood. So people need a land on which that they would multiply, they would build their culture, their language, their institutions, their practices, their beliefs, their society. And that makes them a nation. So land was very, very important um, in the building of the nation. And God promised Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And through that time of nationhood, of course, God had an eternal plan. And through that nation, he established the kingdom of David, which we will come back to at a later time. So this land also, I liken it as a stage. It's a place from which God was going to do his great works. I mean, God needed a people to work through and he needed a place uh, to do these things. So, but now why would God choose this 
land of Canaan. What did that mean? Well, it meant that it was the land that had been inhabited by the descendants of Canaan. So they were known as Canaanites. Canaan was one of the sons of Ham, one of the sons of Noah. Uh, so uh, the Canaanites dwelt in that land and it was therefore called the land of Canaan. What's so interesting is that when God chose this land, um, later in Second Chronicles, he refers to the land as his land. So he not only chose it for this purpose and for this people, but he considered it his land. He had every right to do with it what he wanted to. And in, um, you know, it's interesting that not only did God choose the land of Canaan, um, so let, let me back up. He, he talks to this man named Abram, and he says, Follow me to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And so uh, Abram packs up, and he leaves, and he follows the Lord, and he comes to this land of Canaan. And then God tells him, This is the land that I'm going to give to you and to your descendants. And he actually cut a covenant with Abraham um, as proof that one day his descendants would uh, inherit this land. So uh, it's the land that God chose for Abraham and for his descendants and for the great acts that God was going to do in the earth. It's interesting that uh, he also chose the city of Jerusalem. You know, in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, when the Israelites are in the uh, wilderness and God is giving them the law and telling them how to worship and, and giving them all of his legal requirements in there, he said seven different times. And when you go to worship in the place that I will choose, do this and that. Seven times, he said, and when you go to the place that I will choose. You know, it was almost 400 years later that God revealed the place he chose for them to go up and to worship him was Jerusalem. And uh, Solomon in Second Chronicles 6, he says that uh, God told my father David that he had chosen Jerusalem. And when Solomon then built the great temple there in Jerusalem, God speaks to Solomon and he says, I have chosen this place. And he says, my heart and will always be towards this place. So there's something to be said for what God chooses. And for some of us, that's all you need to know. God chose it, that's it. But others of you have little questions like me and it's sort of like, well, why there? Why that piece of land? And you know, the Bible doesn't tell us why that piece of land. Um, but, you know, many Sunday school teachers have said that the land was very strategic because it is actually located as somewhat of a bridge between three different continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. That's one of the reasons it was taken over by so many armies throughout the years, as one invading army coming from the north, the next one coming from the south, the Greeks coming from the west. Um, it was always being invaded by somebody on their way somewhere. But it is true that by all of this happening in this piece of land that the word may have spread more easily throughout the world. 
Um, and especially during the Roman Empire, the life of Jesus, it would have spread easily throughout the Roman Empire. So there's something to be said for that. Maybe it was because it was strategically located. You know, I think that there's also possibility of a bit of a mysterious reason here. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, so uh, you can take it or leave it. But nobody knows where the Garden of Eden was really located. The description of where the Garden of Eden was located uh, describes four rivers. Two of them we know where they are, but the other two we're not quite sure where they are or where they were then. And it's a very good possibility that the Garden of Eden, the description of these rivers, was from a time when the land masses were closer together. You know, there's a, uh, you can look up a map of the world before the continents kind of drifted apart. And um, maybe that with a description such as that, that the Garden of Eden actually was in this location. And uh, it's very interesting that at, during the time of Abraham, when he comes into this land, he runs into this mysterious priest and king, Melchizedek, who was in the ancient city of Jerusalem at that time. Uh, and he was worshiping the one true God there. And he comes out and he greets Abraham. You may remember this story. And it's like, who is Melchizedek and where did he come from? He's here in the heart of the land, in the city of Jerusalem, worshiping the one true God. So there seems to be some eternal uh, purpose in this land that the Bible just doesn't explain and it doesn't tell us about. But you know, uh, the city of Jerusalem, God chose it saying that he had put his name there. And if you look at the topography of the city of Jerusalem, it's got three valleys that come together in just the way of the Hebrew letter Sheen. And the Hebrew letter Sheen is the letter that stands for God's name. It stands for the word name. So Hashem or Shem, means name, and that starts with the letter Sheen, but so does Shaddai. And uh, the high priest considered it to be for the name of God. And uh, when they do the priestly blessing over the people, they would actually raise their hands in such a way as to be the letter Sheen. And this is written into the topography of the city of Jerusalem. So quite literally, the name of God is in that place. Very interesting. I, the Bible doesn't explain these things, um, but I like to bring it out because I do believe that there's an eternal significance to that area, to that land, and to the city of Jerusalem. So now how did God use the land in the life of his children? And it's very, very interesting how that the land became something that God promised to Abraham and he promised it to the children of Israel that this was their inheritance. This was their land. But yet it required faith for them to enter the land. And more than faith, it required them to be totally prepared that they understood how they were supposed to live once they entered the land. And so in the wilderness wanderings, 
Uh, we have the, um, the 12 spies that go in to spy out the land before they go in to take it. And 10 of them came back with a negative report and said, oh my, the land is full of, of giants. And two came back and said, but our God is greater. We can do it. We can take the land. And of course, because of the unbelief of the majority, there was a 40-year period of wandering in the desert until those had died out and the ones that were of faith remained. And Joshua, the man of faith, was the one to lead them into the land and to take it. But faith was required or else they never would have entered the land. They would have stayed where they thought it was safe, where God was giving their manna every day. The land was a bit of a testing for them, and even though they knew that it was full, it was a land of milk and honey, flowing with milk and honey. Um, the milk probably from abundance of goats uh, in the land at the time. It wouldn't probably have been cows and livestock, but it would have been goats. And the honey, uh, not from the bee, uh, probably maybe date honey or even fig honey. And uh, But it implied an abundance. And um, this was the land that God had promised them, such wonderful promises, such a, a rich uh, uh, land of abundance. But it required faith for them to enter it because there were also difficulties. There were giants in the land. And when you see the, when you go with me to Israel, and we're going to go down to the Jordan River to the place where the Israelites crossed over uh, right before they took Jericho and then the rest of the land. And when you stand there and you look from the River Jordan to the land that they were about to take, all you see is a big line of cliffs, rocky, barren, dry, cliffs. And here this people had wandered for 40 years in the barren, rocky, dry wilderness, and they're faced with these mountains. It had to have been very intimidating and very daunting, and it required faith to keep going and pushing in. But once they got through that hard beginning, they would get into the lush and the more abundant part of the country. So the land took faith, but it also took obedience because this was God's land. And he told them that when you are in the land, you are to do this and this, and you are to obey, and you're to walk righteously before me. And if you go after other gods, if you turn from me, if you don't walk in obedience, then you will be kicked out of the land. It will be over because the land in a way was where the presence of God was. This is where they were going to live in the presence of God. And if they turned against that presence and they offended it, then they might as well be kicked out of the land because it was reserved for a people of faith that wanted to walk in fellowship with their God. Now, as Christians now today, we look back and, and you may have heard the term types and shadows. And when we look at the Old Testament, we see a lot of things that in the natural was a, a type or a shadow 
of some spiritual principle that would come later. There's many types and shadows in the Old Testament that really predict the coming of Jesus and his life. But when it comes to the land, I see the land as a type and a shadow actually of our life with God. You could say after salvation that we have this land that God has given us these wonderful promises. And through Yeshua, which is uh, another pronunciation of Joshua, we're able to enter the land, but it takes faith for us to go in and actually take possession of everything that Yeshua has won for us, that Jesus won for us on the cross. So it's a very interesting type and shadow of the salvation and of our need of faith, and then also of our need of obedience and of walking in fellowship with God in order to enjoy the abundance of our great salvation that he has won for us. You know, also the land of Israel, I see it as, as a little bit of like a microcosm of the world. The land is so full of contrast. It, it almost has a little bit of everything from around the world. Not entirely, but almost. And what do I mean by that? I'm talking about the geography of the land. So if you go to the back of your Bible, uh, you will undoubtedly find a few maps. There's almost always a map back there of the, uh, the tribes of Israel, and it shows the different territories in the land that the tribes went in to take. And so if you have that map, um, look at it. If you don't have that map, and usually you'll have a map of, of the land during the, the time of Jesus. So you can use that map as well. But both of them, it shows you the land of Canaan, or what uh, we would call today the land of Israel. Up at the very top of your map, you'll probably see the city of Damascus, which today is in Syria. And right to the left of Damascus, between Damascus and the ocean, you may see on your map Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon is the highest point in Israel. It is such a high mountain that there, it actually has snow, and they have a ski lift up there. And you can go uh, in the winter, you can go up at the top of Mount Hermon, and you can ski. So it's very cold, it's very high. Just a little bit below Mount Hermon, you would have the mountains of the Golan Heights or, or over closer to the ocean, the mountains that are an extension of Lebanon. Um, if you go down in the middle of those mountains, there's the Hula Valley. You may see Lake Hula on your map and that's lush farmland in that area. And then you'll see the Sea of Galilee, a little bit south, you'll see the Sea of Galilee. And then you'll see the Jordan River running south from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to another sea called the Dead Sea. That is actually the lowest point on the earth. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater sea or lake uh, on the earth. And the Dead Sea is the lowest point on the earth. Why? Because that valley is actually a, a rift between the African plate and the Asian plate. And it's where it's a gap between those two continental plates. And that's why it is the lowest place um, on earth. 
So uh, from there, you, you look to the left and you have this, these mountains and hills before you get to Jerusalem. You'll see Jerusalem on your map. Between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea is what is called the wilderness. And I tell you, it is uh, such barren, rocky desert. Nothing grows there. Sometimes in the springtime, they'll have a rain and, um, and it'll be, there'll actually be blooms in that. But the rest of the time, it is just barren, rocky uh, cliffs and mountains and hills. It's one of my most favorite places of the, of the country. It's so barren. It's so majestic. It's so different from anything that I've ever lived around uh, in the United States. And then, of course, you have the city of Jerusalem, which is right at the edge of that barren wilderness, and then the rolling hillside that goes down to the valley to the Mediterranean Sea. And so all of these contrasts in this small little land, I mean, it only takes you an hour and a half to drive from the Mediterranean Sea up to the mountains through Jerusalem into that barren wasteland and then down to the lowest place on earth at the Jordan River. I mean, it's, it's nothing. It's such a small land. It takes less than eight hours to drive all the way from Mount Hermon down to the south of the country. And yet you go through these amazing landscapes. So I see it as a little bit of a microcosm of the earth. The Israeli people themselves are like a microcosm of all the peoples of the earth. They're from all ethnicities. We're going to talk about them more uh, next time. But it's just such a fascinating place. And to me, it's almost like it's just a little taste of, of the earth and of all the peoples in the earth. It's a type and a shadow in a way. You know, uh, spiritually, as I said, the, the, uh, the land of Canaan can be seen as our salvation. The, uh, the land of Canaan can be seen as a, just a microcosm of the earth that, that the Lord came, uh, that he loves, and that he came to save. And um, so the, this is one of the things that makes the Bible so exciting. There are so many layers of meaning. So we can look first at the obvious physical, natural meaning um, of the land and of the people, uh, what it means. And then you can look for all of the, the spiritual significance of it, the things that we can learn as Christians and apply to our lives. And that's what makes the Bible so rich. It's not just a story. It's an eternal story. It's, it's a story that speaks to hearts and to, has spiritual meaning way beyond the physical story. So God is working in the natural at the same time he's working in the spiritual. And there's so many spiritual lessons for us to learn from this, that the land, it's the promised land is his land, and it's the place that he chose and placed his name. And it's a place where it's abundance of his presence and his blessings, but it requires faith to enter and to take possession of all what he's given us. And if we're obedient, we can enjoy the fullness and the good of the land. That is the meaning, just scratching the surface, of the land of Canaan 
the land of Israel, the land that he chose, and the land of the Bible. So in the sh today's show notes, uh, we have linked to a cute little video. It was produced by the Israeli Ministry of Tourism. Um, it just gives you an overview of the land, and you can see all these contrasts, plus the ancient and the modern, the modern cities, the archaeological sites, and all of the geography of the land. We're going to play it now, uh, and you can go into the show notes and link to that video to watch it. So um, look forward to being back with you next time when we're going to talk about the people of the Bible both Jews and Christians. So look forward to seeing you then. God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.